We're so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. I'm going to continue to pray in a moment. Uh, but thanks, Dan, for that prayer. Um, this morning, I felt the Lord said to me, uh, as I was uh, thinking about today, uh, just the words came uh, to, to my heart from the Psalms, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Uh, and so uh, I shared a little bit last week, it's been a rough season for me towards the end of last year, and I know it has been for a lot of people. And so I just want to pray along those lines uh, this morning as we come to God's Word. And I'm going to pray a little bit more um, beyond this, this time in God's Word, but uh, I encourage you to pray with me uh, this morning. Mm. So Father, I, I come before you this morning, and uh, I'm not crying right now, but uh, I just trust in your word that what we sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Whether it's where we sow a thought of praise, whether it's we sow a sermon, whether it's we sow, show, sow simply showing up or logging in or whatever, however we're engaging this morning, Lord. We trust you that what we sow, we trust that firstly there'll be a harvest. Let there be a harvest, Lord. And let there be songs of joy. Heavenly Father, we pray for the Yas Valley and I cry out for revival. I cry out for a spiritual awakening across our valley, Lord. Uh, We're mindful of those that are unwell or in pain this morning from our church family, Lord. And we pray that you would bring healing and restoration and freedom from pain. Lord, we continue to pray for Perry Aldridge and his family. We pray for continued return to function for him that is beyond what we could ask or imagine. We pray for provision for the Aldridge family beyond their wildest expectations and hopes, Lord. Father, and as we come to your word this morning, Lord, I'm going to talk about Moses a little bit later briefly, but I feel in a sense a little bit like Moses this morning. These are your people, not that I'm super prophet in that sense, Lord. These are your people and I'm not sure how to lead them, Lord. So I pray that your presence, your spirit would lead us this morning. I pray that you would be amongst us as we we unpack what it means, what you're calling us to be transformed in. I pray that this morning your spirit would do the heavy lifting. I pray that what I offer this morning would go forth, that your spirit would transform our lives, our church, our community with it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, So uh, welcome from me. Good morning. Uh, Good morning if you're participating online or uh, if it's at another time. I want to commend you for prioritizing uh, time to worship God and to sit under His Word. I want to commend you for that this morning, whether you're here in the building or uh, at home, uh, or even later on, if you're, if you're making the time to engage with God's Word, I want to commend you for that. Because I think it's actually the most important thing. Let me rephrase that. I know it is the most important thing that we can do with our time. That there is no higher priority than engaging together as the church in worship and His Word. Uh, so last week, we, we called it Vision Sunday. The sneaky thing is we're actually doing a Vision Month, in a sense, so last week was just the launching of, of that, and we're going to unpack that 
uh, as, as we go through the rest of the Sundays in February. Uh, and so last week we, we, we engaged with Romans 12, 1 and 2, where we get our word for, for this year, which is transformed. Uh, and so I believe that God is calling us as, as people, as a church, to be transformed. Uh, and that's why we have the image of the butterfly, because that's such a great picture of transformation. And so last week we talked about caterpillar soup. Uh, we talked about uh, imaginal discs. Uh, if that means nothing to you, then I encourage you to, to connect with last week's message. Uh, but so the passage that we're kind of sitting with for this year is Romans 12, 1 and 2. We'll get to what Jill read in a moment. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And so that's the call of God, I think, of course, forever until Jesus returns because it's in his word that will last forever. But I think especially this year for us as a church, it's a call for us to be transformed. And so this week, next week and the week after, I, I want to unpack the, the three areas that I think God's really calling for us to be transformed in. And that's in the personal, the individual, that's in the church, but it's also in us being those that seek to see our community transformed. So the personal, uh, the church, and the community going out. And, and so this morning I want to anchor in on the personal. What, what transformation does God want for each and every one of us as individuals? And so I think... If we were to go to the other end, to our community, how many of us would say that our community needs a revival? We can say amen. amen. You can, you know, you can, whether it's now or later in the chat, you can say amen to that. Well, I want to suggest this morning that revival, or to use another phrase, a spiritual awakening begins with you and with me. I want to suggest that if we want to see that at the other end of the spectrum, if we want to see a community transformed for the name of Jesus, then what we need for you and for me is a spiritual awakening. We need to wake up. We need a revival. I mentioned this last week, but I forgot his name. There's a, um, a British evangelist named Gypsy Smith who was talking about how you start a revival. How do you see a revival in your community? And he said, well, the way you see a revival in your community is you go home, you go into a small room, you draw a small circle, you kneel down inside that circle, and you pray for revival to start within that circle. What he's touching on is if you want to see a revival, if you want to see lives transformed in the name of Jesus, if you want to see people saved, if you want to see the community bettered with kingdom values, with, with, with God uh, transforming it by his presence, then what you need to do is to cry out to God to bring a revival within you. We need a personal revival. We need a spiritual awakening, to put it in other more blunt terms, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. You need to wake up. And so do I. 
We all need to wake up. And so that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about in this passage that Jill read for us this morning. Uh, yes, Paul was talking about loving one another, but, but this passage also, this passage is kind of the bookend of Romans 12, 1 and 2 through to the end of chapter 13. It's kind of a section that Paul's returning to that thought of transformation. And so he's talking about loving one another. He's talking about, uh, you know, humbling ourselves to one another. He's talking about everything that goes in between. And he says, do all of that understanding the present time. We need to understand the time we're in. And my translation says, the hour has already come. For you to wake up from your slumber. The hour has already come to wake up from your slumber. And so the Apostle Paul is saying to the church, you need to wake up. He says, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And here he's not talking about getting saved as in trusting in Jesus for the first time, putting your trust in him and and entering into salvation. Here he's talking about in this context, Jesus' return at the end of this age. And he's saying, that is nearer, that is closer now than when you first believed. And logically, that's obviously true for all of us who believe. And it's nearer now than when Paul wrote this. We don't know the hour, but Paul is saying it's nearer now than when you first believed. You need to wake up. The hour has already come to be awake. But what happens is usually the exact opposite. The longer we believe, we start with excitement and we're so pumped up for Jesus when we first believe and then we get sleepy. And all of a sudden, it doesn't seem, I guess, so exciting or urgent or important. The early church, even though Paul is calling from the wake to wake up, lived with such urgency. But but over two thousand years, the whole church has gotten kind of sleepy. So we usually get the opposite thing happening. We tend to get less alert in our faith, less urgent about reaching the lost, less dedicated to prayer dare I say less committed to worshipping together with the church more concerned about our own needs our own preferences our own desires our own cares what we want to meet our own preferential needs felt needs I guess but Paul is saying Christ's return is nearer now than the moment you believed. It's like in Revelations where where Jesus is speaking or writing a letter to the church in that context and he says, says, you've lost your first love. That we start with this urgency and dedication and and love but then then we kind of lose it. We get complacent and lazy and sleepy. And so as I was pondering this passage this week, I I thought, how soon would Jesus' return have to be for us to wake up? To to have a sense of urgency about it. I mean, the the scripture talks about we don't know the hour. Even Jesus in his earthly life said, I don't know the hour. It's for the Father to know. So we don't know the hour. But if if we, for some way, actually knew when Jesus returned, how soon would that have to be for us to wake up to it. I mean, like, would, if it was in two years' time, would we go, okay, two years, let's get, let's get focused on this. 
12 months, six months, a week? How soon would it have to be for us to be urgent about it? For us to prioritize the things of the kingdom? How soon would it have to be for you to prioritize the things of the kingdom? If you knew Jesus was coming back in a month's time, how would that impact your behavior? If Jesus was coming back in a month, how would it shape what you now saw as important and not important? If you knew Jesus was coming back in a, in a month, how, how would that shape the way and, and the focus and the priority you placed on worship? If you knew Jesus was coming in a, back in the month, who would you want to share the gospel with? If you had one month left, who would be those people that, that you thought they need to know about Jesus before this month is over? What would your prayer life look like if you knew Jesus was coming back in a month? Because the reality is, we don't know when it is, but it's nearer than it was when we first believed. It's nearer today than it was yesterday. It's nearer tomorrow than it is today. It might already have happened before we get tomorrow, to tomorrow. And, and so the scriptures tell us, live as if it could be tomorrow or sooner. There's this theological word, it's not just theological, but there's this word imminent. We're meant to live as if Jesus return is imminent that means that at any moment and Jesus return is so near in that sense we might think well it's been 2,000 years plus how, how near can it be but it's near in the sense that there is nothing between now and then preventing that there's nothing preventing Jesus returning through that door right now you know the Bible leads me to believe there may be trumpets preceding that moment. But, but there is nothing between this moment and the moment of Jesus' return, though we don't know how long it will be. And, and so sometimes Paul's criticised by biblical scholars saying, oh, he had this, he didn't know enough because he thought Jesus was going to be like coming back in a few days' time and that's why he called the church to this kind of sense of urgency. But, but they get it wrong. It's not that Paul thought it would be in a couple of weeks. It's that Paul knew it could be at any moment. He got it when we don't. He knew it could be any moment. It could be now. And so Paul says, the hour has already come for you to wake from your slumber. If we're spiritually asleep now, we're sleeping in. Or to put it in a paraphrase of the late, great Keith Green's words, the world is asleep in darkness, the church is asleep in the light. Paul goes on after giving this call. It's time. It's time's past for you to wake up from your slumber. And he says, the night is over or nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so that most of us, when we wake up in the morning or soon after that event, at least before we go to work, we change our clothes. We take our pyjamas off, 
and we put our work clothes or our school clothes on and then we get to work or school. Um, if your workplace is the home, most of us still get changed. Uh, I confess if you work for Australia Post, you might be aware that for me that change point doesn't come at the moment I wake up. It's kind of before I get to work. And so that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. When we wake up, we put off something, we put off our night clothes, and we put on our day clothes. He's saying we put off the deeds of darkness. That's our sin, our, 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 our fleshly behavior, feeling our own needs, our own desires. We take that off, and we put on, and, and the translations say, the armor of light. Because it's kind of trying to capture that, that clothing imagery. You're putting on armour. But the, the word armour would be perhaps better translated weapons. Uh, this isn't defensive clothing. This is offensive clothing. This is clothing of going out to a spiritual battle. And so Paul is saying, wake up! Get your pyjamas off. Put on your spiritual warfare clothes and get into it. Wake up and get dressed. Focus on your faith. And so many of us, when we think about spiritual warfare, we think about, you know, all the nasties out there and we want to tear them down and that's part of it. But, but I suggest in this context that that the forefront of spiritual warfare is leading those who are in the darkness into the light. Leading the lost into salvation. Leading the broken into wholeness through Jesus. And Paul goes on in the next few verses in 13 to 14. He says, Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. And so a lot of those types of sin, they're nighttime types of sin, drunkenness and sexual immorality has a tendency to happen at night. So he's using that imagery of stepping out of darkness into light. So he's saying, let's let's behave as if we're saved. Part of waking up for the church for you and I, this, this personal transformation, that, that spiritual awakening, is we behave like we're saved. We know that Jesus has covered all of our sin. We know that we are sinful and when we come to him, he's covered our sin and, and, and that's not meant to be licensed to keep on living in the darkness. And then he goes on to say, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with Jesus. It's, this biblical imagery we hear Paul use about, about clothing yourself with Jesus and it's kind of a bit funny when you think about it. How do you put on a person? And so the idea Paul is getting at here is, is you, you put aside the darkness, you take that off, you put it away, you put it in the washing machine or perhaps the bin because you're not meant to put it back on and you put on Jesus which means that we, we are so invested and focused on Jesus that, that his person is manifest in everything that we think and do. That we are, we are clothed in him so that it's he that others see in our thoughts, in our actions, in our behaviour. And then Paul finishes this section 
by saying, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Some translations say sin here. Do not think about how to gratify your sinful nature. And so the, the Greek word that Paul used here, sarx, it, it's often translated sinful nature because it's, it's our carnal flesh, but it actually means flesh. Paul's not just talking about sin here. He, he's saying we should be awake. He's saying that we should be dressed for spiritual battle to, to go and seek and save the lost. He's saying that we should be clothed in Jesus, that, that our, our life should manifest Jesus. And he's saying, don't think about how you can satisfy the desires of your flesh. So yes, it's, it's talking about sin because that's one of the, the main ways that we satisfy the desires of our flesh. In fact, all selfishness is sin. But, but he's talking about personal preference here. He's talking about minor issues. The cliche in churches is the colour of the carpet. We don't have that issue here because like grey. No one can get too excited or upset about grey. But, but that's the cliche issues. He's talking about being easily offended. He's talking about worrying about stuff that isn't seeking and saving the lost and building God's kingdom because the hour of Jesus' return is so close. He's saying, don't think about that now. The hour has passed for worrying about that stuff. The hour has passed for prioritizing our fleshly needs over the needs of seeking first God's kingdom. The hour has passed for that. The hour has passed to think about, oh, I hope Carl plays my favorites today. If you've got a favourite worship song or style of worship, praise the Lord for Spotify. But the hour has passed for those kind of things to be our concern. The hour has passed for things that I want, that my desires, my needs, my opinion. The hour has passed for that. The hour has passed that we should wake up. And prioritize God's kingdom. Jesus himself spoke about this dynamic, this moment we're in. So the Apostle Paul says, you know, do all this understanding the present time. And, and so Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, that, that parable that we had for our kids' talk, thanks, Crystal, Jesus says, at this time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And then he tells that story of, of a bridegroom going away and then returning for the wedding banquet. Uh, and, and, and the bridesmaids, or the young ladies, waiting for that wedding banquet, and five had enough oil to last longer than they expected, and five only brought enough for their lamps. Um, but this, in this, this parable, Jesus is talking about this time, this moment that our bridegroom, Jesus, the bridegroom of the church, has gone away and we're awaiting his return. And, and so he's talking about this moment, living in readiness and urgency. Now, the, the, the young women do fall asleep and, and that's not a spiritual slumber here, that's, that's part of the story to tell us how long they were waiting. And see, the, the, the five foolish, foolish young women were like so many of us in the church. They started with enough oil to fuel their spiritual fire. 
But the irony is, as the bridegroom grew nearer, their flame grew lower. But the five wise bridesmaids, they had not just enough oil for today. They made sure that they brought enough oil so that when the moment came, their lamps were ablaze. They were out of top it up, trim the wick, and, and they had light to walk by. And, and so, of course, oils fueled lamps in those days. Uh, in these days, we might talk about batteries in your torch or something like that. But, but oil is not a neutral word in the scriptures. Oil is so often symbolic of the Holy Spirit, of anointing. And so I believe Jesus here is hinting at that we need to ensure that we are constantly topped up. That we need to ensure that we are being filled up. That we need to ensure that as time draws nearer, our flame is not growing lower. That as time draws nearer, we are not falling asleep, but growing more awake. The foolish thing for the bridesmaids wasn't that they rested. It wasn't about, you know, you're not allowed to sleep anymore. Sleep is for the weak. This is about our spiritual alertness or lack of, our spiritual slumber or being awake. And so my cry this year, the, the, the space where I think we need a deep transformation for each and every one of us in the church, if we want to see anything transformed beyond you and I, if we want to see the lost saved, if we want to see God's kingdom advancing, if we want to see the broken in our community healed in the name of Jesus and, 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 and bound up and, and, and coming into salvation, if we want to see the church grow, if we want to see anything, my heart's cry is that we first need a spiritual awakening for you and for me. The sadness of a message like this is you're inherently preaching to the converted. You're inherently preaching to those that are here. I want to finish with this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it's pretty well known. Oops, I pulled my tag out. It's pretty well known verse where the Apostle Paul says to the church, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if we're taking oil as symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is saying, make sure you've got enough oil to fuel your lamp. He also says, don't get drunk on wine. He also says elsewhere to Timothy, have a bit of wine. So this isn't about all for the wine or no for the wine, he's saying, don't get drunk on it because that leads to debauchery. And, and hopefully you can see the connection between the debauchery, what Paul was talking about, the deeds of darkness that we're meant to put off. Uh, hopefully you can see that connection. He's saying, don't get drunk on wine because that puts us in the slumber space. And so what does wine do? What does alcohol do? It, it's, a, it's a depressant. It makes us sleepy. And so the Apostle Paul here is talking about wine, yes, because it's a sedative. It puts us to sleep. If that's the place we go to, if we go to things like alcohol for our comfort, it dulls us and puts us to sleep. 
But I think wine here is representative for all of us of anything that we use to sedate ourselves mentally, spiritually, emotionally. I think the Apostle Paul is saying to us in this hour, don't put yourself to spiritual sleep. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the alternative. And so I think I want to encourage you to see this in this kind of wakefulness or slumber light. Are you choosing to fuel your life with things that are putting yourself to sleep spiritually? Or are you putting yourself in the place of being spiritually awakened? Are you fueling the fire of your spiritual awakefulness? Carl, come and help me. Come and either rescue me or rescue everyone from me. I don't know which one it is. And so I think God has given us a vision this year to be transformed. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll get into some more, I guess, nitty-gritty of the church community, some more, you could say, strategic stuff that relates to that vision. But I think the number one strategy is for personal revival, is for a spiritual awakening. I unintentionally lied when I said I was going to finish with Ephesians. I want to finish with Moses because I meant to start with him. I think it's appropriate here. There's this moment in the history of Israel where God's a bit fed up with them. and So he's kind of said to, to Moses, I'm still going to give you the promised land. That's, that's still a thing. I'll even send you an angel with you to guide you, but I ain't going to come. And so later on, Moses' response is this. In Exodus 33, 15, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? When I read that, I just think of that Gypsy Smith quote. We're just going to draw a circle. We're going to say, we're people of God's presence, we're people of His Spirit, we're going to draw a circle and stand in it, lay in it, kneel in it, praying it until God brings revival within it. And so here's my call to myself, to the church that I've been called to lead. Is this the words of the Apostle Paul, the hour has already come for you to wake from the slumber. 
so I want to invite as Carl plays for a while uh, as he uh, sings when he feels ready I want to invite you you probably didn't bring chalk this morning but I want to invite you in your seat wherever you are cry out for God to bring a spiritual awakening to the person sitting in that seat, to the person standing in that spot. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I wish so-and-so was here this morning. I hope they're online at home because they really need to wake up. Forget about them. Pray for them later. I want us each to cry out to God to bring a spiritual awakening within ourselves. Heavenly Father, send your spirit upon your church. We confess that we've gotten sleepy. We confess that we didn't make sure we had enough oil. that as the time of your arrival on the clouds with glory draws nearer we've become not more urgent but less urgent Father, I pray that you would pour out the oil of your Holy Spirit on each and every one of us here this morning in their homes. Even if someone's listening to this in years to come, Lord, I pray that this would be the hour, this would be the moment of our spiritual awakening. That we would come awake, that I would be awakened, that we would focus first on the things of your kingdom. That our preferences, that our priority, that our flesh would not be our focus. But that we would put on Christ. That we would suit up and pick up our spiritual weapons. That we would seek first your kingdom. That we would seek save the lost, that we would cry out to you on behalf of our common community. Come Holy Spirit and wake us up. Come Holy Spirit and wake us up. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.